going to be turning lots of pages today, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. That's not in your bulletin. We're going to be doing Genesis 37, 45, 50 for our Old Testament reading, then to Romans 8 for New Testament reading. No slides this morning, so we are going to go old school and just, again, turn pages in Scripture uh, as we go through that. So, um, I'm going to be talking... Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 18. And you know the story, it's a familiar one. This is where uh, Joseph's brothers are jealous of him and they can't stand him and they're, they want to do something about that. They want to get rid of him. And this is what they do. And so we're going to read this account partial, partially. Um, and then back and then to chapter 45, beginning in verse 18, verse 37. These are the brothers. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, oh, here comes that dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into the, one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum balm and myrrh and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And the Midianite traders passed by, They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, turn with me to chapter 45. And beginning uh, verses 1 through 8. Now, Joseph is in Egypt. Things conspire in, in God's providence. Joseph rises to leadership. The famine's on its way. And we read this, then Joseph, beginning in verse one of chapter 45, then Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, the brothers come down, you know the story, they're before Joseph, they don't know who he is, obviously he knows who they are, this is when he reveals himself to them. Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him, he cried, make everyone go out from me. And no, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were shocked. They were stunned silence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then over to chapter 50. And the father has died. Jacob dies. So the brothers are still afraid. Now that dad's dead, the revenge is going to come. He's going to take his revenge out on us. So Romans 5, I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 50, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the of God, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and they fell down before him. And he said, behold, we are. And they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about. To bring to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And now over to our passage in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read from 18 through 28. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, but not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you, Lord. Do pray for your word this morning as it is brought forth, Lord God, that you would be with all of us, that you would help us to see the grandeur, the majesty of your love and your mercy, your kindness, Lord God, your 
infinite you are, Lord God, in all your ways. And how in awe we stand before you and marvel at you, Lord God. And just wonder why you would choose us to, to place your love upon us. And then to live for you in every single way, with all of our life, with all of our breath. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, as Christians, as those who believe in the Lord, we have a unique way of processing life, don't we? We might say these kinds of things, but we don't really believe it if you're a true Christian this morning. We don't see things as random, like all random events or chance events. I know sometimes you might say, oh, we are lucky that this happened. But you know in your heart of hearts, if you're a Christian, that that's not the case. We don't believe in coincidence, fate, karma, kismet, everything that the world kind of puts in place. They have to. They have to have an explanation of why things happen a certain way. So they look for things other than God because they don't believe in God. But you can't get away from God because you live in his world. You try to in that way. But as Christians, we lived this way at one time, right? Putting our putting our trust and hope. Oh, putting our, oh man, luck. Let's see if, if, the, if fate is with us, you know, our lucky stars, those kinds of things. But as Christians, no more. It's not true. We know the truth now. We know that God is sovereign over all things. And and this is part of the renewing of our minds as Christians, the changing the way we think. And and it means that that every circumstance, all the circumstances of life, all the situations are are put into perspective. In God's perspective. Do you understand that? That's how we, that's the lens we view everything from. God's perspective because he's the creator. He's the sustainer. He made all things. He has decreed all things. Through, we view life through the reality of his divine decrees and through the lens of his divine providence. That's what this verse is talking about. We're going to focus in. I read all those verses. We're going to focus in on verse 28. The famous verse. It's like John 3.16. It's like those verses in scriptures that everybody knows. God causes all things to work together for good. It is so profound. It is so very deep. We're going to try to unpack it a little bit today. Because it speaks on so many levels to the majesty, the glory, the sovereignty of God. And the love of God for his people. So. As Christians, that's how we view things, through his love. And this verse encapsulates all of that. It, it just, it, it's all contained in, in this verse. And that's why we're going to focus in on 828 this morning. We view reality through his divine decrees and his divine providence. Now, what's that mean? I'll read from the catechism, the shorter catechism, just these two questions. Have this in, in your mind as we're going through the rest of this message. What are the decrees of God? Question number seven asks. And the answer is this. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose. So God has an eternal purpose. Before eternity, he planned every single event. Everything is according to his purpose and his plan. I know it blows our mind. We can't fathom it. There's It's mystery. There's mystery to it. And we're not going to know fully how that works. But that's what it is. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his own will. He doesn't go outside of himself to decide what he should do and what he's going to do. He has a purpose. He has a plan moment by moment whereby for his own glory, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now, that's just that that's going to 
blow us away, right? He is foreordained. Everything that comes to pass. So a leaf doesn't fall from a tree apart from being ordained from God. Things that we take for granted every day. Oh, that's just what happens. Nothing happens apart from the foreordination of God. He knows when that leaf is going to fall from that tree because he's ordained it. Now, this could just, you know, it's too much for us, isn't it, in some ways? But keep that in mind, and we're going to be looking at this because it's intertwined through this verse that we're talking about this morning. Also, his providence, God's providence. People call it luck, circumstance, happenstance. No, 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 it's his providence. What are God's works of providence? Question 11 asks, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all their creatures and all their actions. So God has a purpose and a plan in his providence that carries out in that way. Everything happens for a reason. God has ordained all things that come to pass. There's no chance, there's no luck, no happenstance, things that we kind of put in that place. It might seem that way. Christians know better that God is certainly sovereign and in control of all things. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, the terrible, all these things are from the Lord. So as that is a foundation to this precious verse, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, those called according to his purposes. Every situation, every circumstance in some way is connected to his decree and to his providence. Mark that down. Get that in your hearts, man. Know that and understand that. So that's where our confidence comes in the Lord. Now, That'd be fine if everything was wonderful in our life, right? If everything went, uh, you know, a court swimmingly and there was no pain, no sorrow, that would be wonderful. God has ordained us. He's given me so much. And it's so the rub comes in for us as Christians when we encounter hard times, when we encounter bitter disappointments in our life, when we encounter sudden loss. And it's like, what? How can this be good? What, how, how is this for my good? You know, how's that diagnosis for my good? How's God going to work that out in my life? Where I don't have this, just something I desire. It's not even sinful, just something. But God saying, no, how is this for my good? Well, that's what we're going to consider this morning. It's a great truth in this verse to help us answer this question. How is this for my good? Because when things are going well, we're not going to complain. But when things are going terribly or bad and that happens to us all the time every day in every situation you know it's not we're not in a perfect world yet right so things are going to be difficult well how can that be from god romans eight twenty eight. that's the answer the first thing we need to understand about this verse is that it's a certainty it is it is it's not a wishful hope like i hope this is right i yeah i'm saying with as much vigor as i can and hoping that no no it's actually true it's emphatic it's 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 when he says we know paul says we know we know for just like we know that this wall is here we know for certain that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love him those who are called according to his purposes we know that for certain It's emphatic, there's no doubt, because it's based on God's character, based on God's word, based on God's decree, and part of his providence. It's true. Even if it's not apparent at the moment, in that particular season that you're going through, that confusion, the pain, the hurt, the wondering, the the wilderness that you find yourself in, even if it's not apparent at that time, know that this is true. How can we know? How do we know? We know that it's true. Again, as I mentioned, based on his character, based on his his nature, who he is, based on his word, based it's throughout scripture. 
all the way throughout. This is a, a wonderful study that we could have for weeks and weeks and weeks. But it's based in his word, and it's also based in real life experience. And I want you to know that today. It's based, it's not just theoretical, it's not just theological. There's deep theology involved, as you could tell already as we get into it. But man, it is so practical, and it comes out in real life every single day, and even in your life, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. And I want you to get that and understand that, that it's not just this theological pithy saying that we could kind of you know hope and, and elucidate and stay in there no it's very real to us and you know it if you've been suffering that he does cause everything for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose and even if it's not apparent at this particular time i told you we're going to turn pages i want you to turn with me to psalm 139 psalm 139 it's a familiar psalm to many of us And we're talking about his decrees and his providence that he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, that he knows us, that he plans for, for every situation and circumstance. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, and then 16. The psalmist says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know me because he made us. That's how he knows us. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He is omniscient. My, you search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then in verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet, there was none of them. That is so deep and that's so profound. It's not just that God knows when you're born, knows when you're going to die, but he has everything written down from the before the time you were born till the time you were brought to him. Do you understand? That's another way of saying that he foreordains. It's not that your life, you're just skipping along and God's just watching you go along. You are living according to his purpose and his plan. He knows you. Every day was written, written out for you in his book. Matthew 10, 30 tells us he knows us better than we know ourselves. As a matter of fact, he knows every hair on our head is numbered by him. That's just another way of saying he knows us completely because he made us and he's ordained everything in our lives. You need to get that in, especially as we think about Romans 8, 28. Listen, every circumstance, every situation has been ordained by God. Ultimately, if you belong to him for his glory, and for your good. That's Romans 8.28. Now, you may not be convinced of that when you receive the diagnosis. Okay? I have a few months to live. How good? Where's the good in that? You might not be convinced of that sudden loss. You might not be convinced when the family is in turmoil and there's tension all the time and there's people that say one thing and do another thing and they start out well and they, they go astray in that way and there's so much turmoil in there. But in time, and here's the promise that God makes to us, and this is why I'm focusing in on A28, in time, even out of the tragic situation, we see God's goodness. And I'm, and, and I'm more and more convinced, yeah, you might have to wait until heaven, but for the most part, no, even now, there are tender mercies that come through because that's what he does. That's what he promises. 
And that's what we see. We see it it with Joseph. We just read that. That was very real. That's a very real application of Romans 8.20, working all those things together, and especially the difficulties. Again, that's what we're focusing on this morning because when things are fine, we we just praise him for that. But when things are difficult, we... We say, okay, God, not what's going on here. But we could see that in the life of Joseph. That's why I read from Genesis in that way. But it's also not just biblical characters. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. We can go example after example. And I want to bring that home this morning because this is very real, because he's very sovereign, and he's very gracious in the midst of this. And I have testimony after testimony of God's goodness of Romans 8, 28, in the, in the worst of situations. Again, I'm not exalting this scripture above all others, but this encapsulates so much of the Christian life and, and the meaning of Christianity and the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? That he brings that in the midst of our pain. It doesn't negate, it doesn't mitigate necessarily the pain, the sorrow, the hurt. But there is a balm, there is comfort, and there's purpose beyond it. And I've heard your testimonies about this. One that comes to mind is from Amy and Keith Pem. Pemmy, how do you... Pem is the last name. Amy is Mitch and Kathy's daughter. Many of you know her. Beautiful family. Beautiful son, Wyatt, three years old, 2011. Tragically, suddenly lost. And the pain is there. We still feel the pain. Tearing up as I say it now. It was a precious one, just like that. Where's the good in that? Good, Lord, how could you bring good out of this? Where's it going to be? A few years ago, Amy gave a testimony. <sighs> to hear that testimony of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's love, <sighs> you have to hear it yourself. When I tried to make copies, and we'll get copies for that, but you have to hear that testimony of how, because of what happened, God used that in her life, in the life of her husband, in the life of her family to bring glory to himself. It's amazing. It's, a, it's very real. So it touches us now. This is, this is a promise to us. It's not just something far off. It's just not, you know, a nice platitude, man. It is the reality of God if you belong to him. No matter the situation, if you're his, he's going to bring goodness to you. Okay, but what if I die? Okay, so what? You die. Then you go to heaven. What more is, that's better than anything else. In our sorrows and our pains, every situation, every circumstance, He causes that good to come. It is counterintuitive to us. It doesn't seem to make sense. But time and again, you hear the testimonies. How many times have you heard, if that hadn't happened, if that bad thing hadn't happened to me, then I wouldn't have what I have now. If that wouldn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am in my relationship to the Lord today. It means so much more to me because of that terrible thing where I could find no good in it at that time. Yet God brings it good out of it. It's not it's not the worldly way of doing things. It's not kind of this, you know, fate, just giving it up to fate or 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 making lemonade out of lemons. It's not that. This is God's sovereign purpose plan for your life. These events are planned for you. And we're to live faithfully through them. See that? It's a sure promise. It's also a comprehensive promise. Notice he says all things. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, those called according to his purpose. That all things, understand this. There's, there's a couple different ways that that's used. When he says all things, it's used on a macro level, like overall for all things, everything that happens in the world and that affects us as his people. But also 
on a micro level as well. So I want to talk about that just for a moment. All things work together for good. On a macro scale, that's in terms of unfolding history. You know, f- history is unfolding according to his purpose, according to his plan. We're right where we need to be at this time for, this, for a moment such as this. It's unfolding according to his divine purpose and his divine plan. If God is sovereign, then it must be. Amen? You have to say yes, it is. Or else we just have a God who's just kind of up there you know, ruling the dice or getting us starting and letting us go. No, it's not that. That word work together is actually where it, a Greek word for synergism. You know, two things working together to bring something about. And it speaks to both God's sovereignty on the one hand, and again, it's going to blow your mind a little bit because it is deep stuff, but it's very biblical. You need to understand it. That God is sovereign over all things, the sovereignty of God and man's free choices. There's mystery to that. There's depth to that. Yet that's what's plainly taught in Scripture. Right? Man, we think and we act freely. We really do. And yet, God is sovereign, sovereign over our free acts. How does that work? I'm not the dude to ask. I don't know. I don't think theologian. We could try to answer those questions, but we're not going to fully know until we're in his presence. We we see dimly now, we'll see clearly then. He's not, it's not that God's seeing the decisions that people make and then adjust his plan accordingly. That's not it. That's not sovereignty. That's not according to scripture. On the other hand, we're not robots, man. We are not robots. We make real decisions every single day that affect our lives, absolutely. So we act out of our own volition. That's why I read from Joseph's brothers. They were acting out of their own volition. We can't stand this kid. Let's get rid of him. Let's just kill him. Well, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. Well, let's not throw him in the pit. Let's, uh, that's what they, they were doing. They, weren't, they were making free decisions. And yet, what did Joseph say in the sovereignty of God? God set me here. That's right. He ordained this for me. As terrible as it was, that's bad news. And you know, we, we don't think about the implications of that too much. Of you know, Just think if that actually happened to you and your family, just being torn away, being hated that much. Just think of the emotional pain, the devastation in that. We just kind of, oh, it's a Bible in the Bible, so we just kind of, you know, they were Bible characters. No, 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 they were very real people just like us. These are real implications to us as well. But we see that. We act, we act according to our volition, our, what we want, and yet, it's ordained by God. Christ to the cross. Let's think about Jesus to the cross. This is the biggest one of them all. We can just even start in the, with the passion in the garden. From, from the garden to the cross, how many decisions do you think were made to what to do with Jesus Christ? Who made those decisions? Everybody did. The Jews did. Pilate did. The Romans. Everybody. They, all these decisions, all this thought went into that, made by so many individuals, and yet it was part of God's sovereign plan. And it was going to happen. It had to happen. Just the way he ordained it. You don't believe me? Turn with me to Acts. Turn some more pages. Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. I'm not just saying these things because, you know, I think I know what the teaching is. It's actually what Scripture teaches. So Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. And this is Peter's sermon at, sermon at Pentecost. And he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So this is what Jesus did. This Jesus delivered up. Look at this. Delivered up by what? 
the definite plan of God, according to the definite plan of God, God's sovereignty in that. This is God's purpose, God's plan. And the foreknowledge of God. Then he goes on and says, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. So they acted very freely. This is what they did. And yet it was God's purpose and God's plan. God ordained it. It was going to happen. You see, it was predetermined. It was foreordained in him. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So you see God's sovereignty, man's freedom. Again, we're not we're never going to get to that place where we fully understand that. But that's where our faith does come in. There's enough evidence to put our faith in. It's not a blind faith, but it's a real faith based on good evidence. This is what the Bible says. It's a determined plan by God, yet men acted freely and crucified Christ. God's sovereignty, hmm? our freedom. And turn over to chapter 4 of Acts, chapter 4, verses 26 through 28. And this is the believers are praying together in the room, and it says, The kings of earth set themselves up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed one. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles. So it was Herod, the, the king, um, the, the Jews, uh, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. Now listen, to do whatever your hand, I'm sorry, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take in place, right? By their hands. By the hands of who? The Gentiles, the Jews, Israel. God's purpose and plan and predetermined that to take place. There it is. God's sovereignty, our free will. What has happened to you is not by chance. You don't find yourself here, oh man, I just had some bad breaks in life and I just had terrible, that's how the world sees it, right? If you're not a Christian, that's what you're going to say. Oh man, why does this have to happen to me? Oh God, do you, what, what's going on? It's not. And this is where 828 also, it's not just a macro level, God's purpose and plan for all things, but also a micro. It means you. It means us personally. It, it, it comes down to a personal level as well. He says, those who are loved by God, that means we are loved by God, that he loves us. That's why we love him. We belong to him. The world does not know him in this way. So he causes all things to work together for those who love him. Do you love Jesus Christ? Then these situations are going to work for good. And the ultimate good, as I mentioned earlier, is being with him in heaven, no matter what happens to us here on earth, no matter what difficulties. Ultimately, we are going to be with him. No more tears, no more sorrow. It's not the same for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, right? It's not the same. That's a different different reality awaiting them, okay? So he says, for those who love Christ, those who are called according to his purpose, to me to be called that he called you, that you belong to him. We're servants in the midst of his hand. And that's how you need to look at life and at your circumstances, that God has placed you in this circumstance at this particular time for a particular purpose and reason to glorify him and for you to follow and be obedient to, to, to his word and his will and his way. That's tough stuff. But that's exactly what this is. Understand, not every single person, but for those who love him. If you love him, if you love him and you're loved by him, then you will trust him when circumstances tempt you to abandon him. And even if you do abandon him for a time or a season, he's going to bring you back to himself. But see, when he causes all those things to work together for good to those who love him, who are called to his purpose, 
That means we are instruments in the hands of our Redeemer. He places us in these situations. What are you going to do in that situation? How are you going to react? Is it going to be in faith? Is it going to be turning away? Is it going to be looking inward or looking out to Him? If you truly love Him, then you will wait for Him. When all you want to do is run in that situation. God, I want to give up on you. Why would you bring this into my life? Why is it so hard? I want to run away. But you're going to wait because He loves you. In those times of disappointment, disillusionment, pain, loss, sorrow, hurt. Don't get bitter, man. Don't, don't. That's the temptation to get bitter, to lose God, to run away from him. All you're doing in that regard is showing it an, a lack of trust in him at that moment because you're so hurt and so angry. And then it gives you a reason or an excuse to do the things you want to do and say, well, God let me down, so forget about him. God was terrible in this situation, so what? God made my family go bad, so I don't even want to be part of God anymore. Don't do that. That's not what we do. We're in this circumstance for a particular reason and purpose, and that's to glorify him in the midst of it. That's part of God working all things together for good to those who love him. Love and call according to his purpose. You are made for him. And in those times, in those times, in those dark times, those valleys and those hurtful times, which we're in all the time, and we're never quite out of them, right? And when, when something goes, you know, all oh, things are good for like a little while, but, you know, circumstances are different now. Today it's okay, tomorrow it's, ah, terrible again. So we're always in this kind of place. And when you're in there, ask yourself, okay, and like all things for good, Lord. That's a promise that you made. It's a definite promise to your people, what are you showing me? Ask yourself some of these questions or, or understand this, that when you're in those times, in those circumstances, in that down period, maybe he's refining you. That's what he does. He refines us, man. He That's driving you to a deeper dependence, a more profound awareness of your need for him. You know, he did that with Peter, didn't he? Peter was okay. Peter, he said, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Peter said, what? I'm never going to deny you. They could kill me. They could do what they want. And I know that he meant that, right? We know there was a sincerity there. But when the time came, what did he do? He denied him. He needed to be refined. He needed to be humbled in that way. He does that with us, doesn't he? He brings us in seasons when we're just humbled. Lord, you took everything away from me. We have nothing. What's going on here? And there's just times you just have to say, I've been proud. I need to, I need to be humbled before you. Maybe he's testing you. Maybe he's testing your faith in those dark times. You have to be aware of that. That's part of working all things out. Lord, what's what's going on here? Remember in John chapter 6, all those people were following him. Why were they following him? Because they loved Jesus? Because they wanted to trust him? No, because he gave them food. Remember, he, he multiplied the fish. Jesus said, you're not coming because you love me. You're coming because I gave you food to eat. So then he goes on, he preaches like a, a message, a sermon about eating his blood and or eating his body and drinking his blood if you want to be a follower of mine. And what did all the people do then? Most of the people. They laughed. This is too much, man. I I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not eat your butt drink your that's terrible. That he turned to his, to his disciples and he said, What? You wanna go too? It's a test. Do you wanna go? But then what did Peter say? To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? You are our God. That's the thing. That's the understanding. In those times of trials, of difficulties, ask sometimes, what are you teaching me, Lord? We've all been there. Lord, what are you teaching? What are you showing? Through adversity, we learn. 
that we ought not take our faith for granted, man. So many of you take your faith so for granted, all way too much. You don't even think about the Lord. You just go along, presuming on his goodness, on his love and his mercy. And then that test comes. And then that difficulty comes. Lord, what are you teaching me? Don't run away from him. Oh, God, you're not answering my prayers. Oh, I don't even know if I believe it. No, Lord, what are you teaching me? What do I need to learn about you? What do I need to learn about myself? This was a big lesson for the prodigal when he was gone. He had, he had a lesson to learn in certain ways regarding the faith, regarding God. And one more thing. These times of trials may be preparing you for future ministry. And oftentimes that's what they do. Everything that you go through, how those difficult times, how many times have you looked back and said, I've been through that. I know where you are. I could, I could relate to you on that kind of a level because I know exactly what you're going through because I went through that very thing myself. That's how God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. So we know people that have had abortions in the past. Terrible thing. Murder. How, what good could come of that? Where's the good in that? A life is taken. Well, how many have redeemed that by saying to young women considering abortion, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I've been there. Don't do it. And you minister in that way. You relate in that way. This is very real. It's real. I want you to understand that. It's for us now, today. It happens all the time. There's terrible things, but the Lord redeems that and brings good to those who love him, called according to his purposes. How many of you heard of Jim Elliott, I know it's old, I, I mentioned this many times, it's such a wonderful example, it puts into perspective this passage that we're talking about. Jim Elliott was a missionary, a young missionary, it's called Operation Ock, I want you to listen to this. There were five missionary families who went to Ecuador, they took their families with them, and they went to reach the unreached with the gospel of Christ, they went there with zeal, and there was a tribe there known for its violence, they're called the Aka Indians. It's kind of a pejorative, but that's what they're known as, the, the Akas. This is in September of 1955. They started doing flyovers. It was There were five missionary families. And, and I think about it, they were kids, man. They were 27 was the youngest. It's like Luke and... You know, and Nathan, um, Ethan, and, you know, so the younger families here. The oldest was like 33 or 34. They had wives. They had families, most of them. They brought them there, and they're doing the Lord's work, and they're reaching the unreached with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're, and they're doing these flyovers, dropping things out of the plane to show goodwill towards them. And then um, in, in January, January 3rd of 1956, they they. They set up camp on a beach near the village. It was in the woods. And they were reaching out, and there was some communication. Initially, it was positive. But just a few days later, on January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three others were brutally murdered. They were speared to death by the warriors from the Aka tribe, and they were killed. Okay, God, where's the good in that? Now, you think about it, young moms, with your little kids, because Elizabeth Elliot had a little baby. Here's my husband trying to reach the gospel, going to this place, bringing the good news, and he's dead, and they're dead. What good is that? We're trying to do a good thing. God, where are you in the midst of this? Look at this circumstance. What good could come out of this? I lost my husband. I'm, I'm a widow here with my family. What do we do? Well, as tragic as that was, and the hurt and the pain is still there, it doesn't take away that, that sorrow and so on and so forth. 
yet God caused it to work together for good. He does this all the time. You have to notice it. You have to be aware of it. You have to look for it. After the incident, you know what happened? Two things, two big things. Number one, there was a huge outpouring to evangelistic missions. So huge outpouring of of money, finances, and people signing up to be missionaries. I want to be a missionary because of what happened to them. That's number one. And number two, a few years after the incident, Elizabeth Elliott and the sister of Nate Saint went back to Ecuador, to that tribe, and became missionaries to that tribe. And the Lord converted most of the people there. True story. Including many of those who killed her husband. That's the good. That's Romans 8.28. That's God's sovereign. That's that promise. That's what keeps us going. If you love him or called into his purpose, listen. What you need to say is, I'm here. This is my situation. This is my circumstance because you have me here, God, because you have me here. And it's not so much, Lord, get me out of here. And that's our reaction. Get me out. Make this pass. Make this go away. There's a place for that. Lord, take this away from me. But more than that, you need to be saying, how can I glorify you in the midst of this? Even when it appears that nothing good could come from it. Yet I trust you and I place my confidence in you and I'm going to obey you in the midst of this. That's how Job could say, we go back to scripture, that's how Job could say after he lost everything, everything, his family, what could he say? Shall we indeed accept only good from God and not adversity? And all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then later on he could say, though he slay me, I don't care if you kill me, I will still trust you. It doesn't matter because I'm yours. And then we saw how his life was restored after that. And there's no, and it's not even about that. It's not just like, oh, I want to see how the good works. It's not like that. Like, oh, since this bad things happen, you know, I can't wait for the good. We're not thinking that. We're just living for him. And he brings it about. And we see the mercies and the blessings and even the most difficult situations. And I've talked to enough of you to see this in your own lives. That's what Joseph meant. Joseph said, when he met, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He sent me here ahead of you. How terrible that was that happened to him. And yet in God's sovereignty, and God's purpose and his plan, that's what he was sent there for. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't, they weren't going to go. I, okay, we'll turn one more time to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3. And you know the situation, the fiery furnace, they wouldn't bow down. So they made the furnace as hot as it could be. Um, beginning in verse 15 through 18. And it says this. It said, now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. But if not, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then go to verse 24 through 28. And there were thrown in the fire, thrown in the furnace. You know the story. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast these three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth one was like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their head was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, language that spoke anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb in their houses Houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. You see that? And there it is. That's Romans 8, 28, encapsulized here. This is the back. What good is going to come from that? From being faithful to my God? From say, Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to bow down and say, okay, we're just going to go along with it? But we say, no, we're not going to do that. God rescued them. God kept it. And they said, even if he doesn't, even if he lets us burn, that's okay. We're still not going to worship you because we know that we'll be with him. But not only does he rescue them, you have this foreign king giving praise to the one and only God. That's how it works. That's what it does. That's how Paul and Silas can sing in prison. Here's a terrible thing. Being thrown into prison, being in the dungeon, being bound in there unfairly. And you know when you're treated unfairly how much you just want to, that's not right, it's not fair. And yet they were in there And they endured, they sang praises. We saw what came of that as well. Even the jail guard was converted. You could be certain if you belong to him, this is what he does for you. I want this to be very real for you. I want you to understand this. I don't want you to wallow too much. Of course, the pain is there. The pain is real. The hurt is real. The circumstances can be devastating. But have a confidence in the Lord because his promise is for his people. And it's for you this morning. You could be certain if you belong to him that this is what he does for you. You find those blessings. So when the trials come, the hardest of hard times, view it from the lens of providence. Not necessarily why. You know, why is this happening to me, God? But what? What are you teaching me? What are you preparing for me? What can I learn from you? Not necessarily when. When's this going to pass? When's it going to be over? But what? What do you want me to do in the midst of this that I may glorify you? That I'm not going to lose my faith. That's because I know that you promise, Romans 8.28, that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, those called according to his purposes. It's not just looking for the silver linings. It's not just making lemonade out of lemons. It's actually trusting in the sovereign good purposes of God for your life in every circumstance and in every situation. Are you trusting? Are you looking to him?